Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Organifi. If you haven't already picked up Organifi greens and reds, go ahead and do so now. Organifi.com slash muscle. Use the code muscle for 20% off. Now, the greens and the reds are essential. I think everyone should be taking these greens. Everyone should be taking these reds. Guys, especially if you're interested in cardiovascular function or erectile function, we want to make sure that we're getting enough reds in our body to really supercharge our cardiovascular system and our nitric oxide system. Reds is going to recharge your body and mind with this great blend of superfood berries and uh, ultimately adaptogens, antioxidants, and, and things like uh, mushrooms. So increase your energy, uh, increase your uh, pumps in the gym, and ultimately make sure you're taking care of your system. Ladies and gents, one more time, that's Organifi.com slash muscle. Head over there after our show. I've made two statements in the last five years about two things being the most important indicators of performance or, or maybe levers that everyone should know that could really uh, exponentially improve your performance. And one of them's HRV and the other one's breath work. And I don't, I don't take that lightly, right? I don't say that, you know, like uh, tongue in cheek. Like I, I honestly believe that an understanding, a deep level understanding of heart rate variability could be one of the single most important things you take on in your entire life. Um, and that's not just from a level of performance. It's not even just from a level of transforming your body. It's from the avoidance of disease, the avoidance of illness, the avoidance of heart attacks. If you're going to understand what's happening inside your body, HRV is one of the, one of the best objective markers we have to understand kind of what's going on at the level of the nervous system. So a simple way to understand HRV is you've got multiple branches to the nervous system, right? You've got the central nervous system, you've got the peripheral nervous system, and you've got the enteric nervous system. So central is kind of spinal cord, peripheral, so spinal cord and brain is central. Peripheral is going to be limbs and enteric is kind of going to be like digestive tract, right? And peripheral also, t- and they, all, they all kind of tie into organs as well. So peripheral typically would, would have said, well, central ties into organs, but so does peripheral. And so an understanding of the autonomic nervous system is really a, a conversation around how the uh, 10th cranial nerve, otherwise known as the vagus nerve, is influencing your your organs at any one moment your nervous system through your uh, senses is perceiving your internal and external environment right so right here my, my brain's perceiving this light uh, it's perceiving the temperature and it's making adjustments so that you're better suited for this environment if i was to walk outside it's cold outside my body would adapt if it's hot outside my body would adapt it would sweat right so your body's constantly dynamically adjusting. And if it doesn't adjust and adapt, that's a problem. We die, right? You go outside in the cold, your body doesn't warm you up, you die. You go outside in the heat, your body doesn't sweat, you die. So that's important, right? That, that dynamic response that, that's going on beneath the surface that we don't even acknowledge. And so heart rate variability is really this measurement of the dynamic nature, the resilience of your nervous system. So the more dynamic and more resilient your nervous system, the more sway you can have in what you subject your body to. So if I go into a 200-degree sauna versus a 150-degree sauna versus a 220-degree sauna, do I have the ability to adapt to each of those and how quickly, right? If I go into like an ice tub or uh, into the Arctic cold, do I have the ability to adapt? Will my body actually warm me up? Will it cool me down? This is an example, right? And so let's say if I go to lift a 500-pound weight, does my body have the ability to turn on? And if it does, does it stay turned on or does it come off, right? 
we don't want to have to go into a circumstance, whatever that may be. Let's say you're even driving your car, somebody cuts you off. Your sympathetic nervous system goes into high alert because you're about to, you almost died. You don't want to stay there, right? So a healthy nervous system is one that can be subjected to something and then comes right down, right? An unhealthy nervous system will be one that is subjected to something and stays elevated. Example, we've all seen somebody walk up a couple of flights of stairs. They're walking up the stairs and they're still breathing five minutes later. That's a really poorly adapted nervous system, right? You shouldn't be adapting and staying in that state. The whole point is we want to be able to turn up and turn down. And here's the crazy thing. Even though autonomic indicates it's not under our control, in fact, it is very much under our control if you learn to control it. Very much like your bicep can be learned to mentally contract, right? So I can throw something at you. You can contract it with your, you can hold, you can catch it with your biceps with with an instinctive response. Your body will instinctively do it. Or you could eventually learn to contract the bicep without needing anything externally to help you, right? Or to um, cue you. So the autonomic nervous system is no different. It's going to respond to what you're subjecting it to. It's going to, but we want to then learn to control it because if I'm in a situation, let's say, well, life currently has stresses that are perceived by the brain that may not be stresses that you want to exist in, right? Example, getting, getting cut off in a car. Well, I don't want to be stressed out. I want to be able to take my body back into a normal state, right? I want to be able to train hard and leave and not still be this really wired, uh, aggressive person because it doesn't suit the situation. We want to be able to be dynamic, right? This conversation around anti-fragility means the more uh, adaptable my body is to high amounts of stress and it adapts so quickly that it actually gets better, right? Because if I subject my body to stress and it takes multiple days to recover, then it's probably going to uh, you know, not be the fastest adaptation. So what we want to do ultimately is we want to be able to subject our body to huge amounts of stress, massive amounts of stress ultimately, and recover like that. So I'll tell you what, the way that this muscle intelligence transformation method works, and when it works, it's most effective, is when we can subject you to the greatest amount of stress possible and you can recover from it, right? So here's how I approach a transformation. I'll give you the 30-second, you know, Coles Notes version synopsis. Most people, when they come into a body transformation, you guys have heard me say this, the, the typical protocol is, hey, we're going to train more, we're going to do more cardio, we're going to cut your calories. That doesn't work because it may work for a short period of time. For, it always works for a short period of time, but then it stalls and everyone goes, what do I do now? And the only answer is more training, more cardio and less food. And that's always a dead end, right? So within what we do, we're going to, in the beginning, subject you to modalities that increase your body's ability to recover, increase this autonomic balance, right? The, the increase your HRV ultimately. So we're going to teach your, you and your body consciously and unconsciously to be more adaptive to stress. So we want to be more adaptive to stress so that we can subject you to more volume of total stress and your body can actually tolerate it, right? So the first phase of everyone's transformation is introducing lifestyle interventions to help you ultimately transform, right? Because in the first month, if I negligently dump a bunch of training on you, and your body can't adapt and recover then what's going to happen? You probably aren't going to respond. You probably aren't going to grow. You're probably going to get more inflamed, more insulin resistant. Your sleep's going to go to crap. You're going to feel anxious and tired. Your perceived well-being goes down, right? So one of the first, one of the most common statements I get from my clients and we get from you guys in the first month is I just feel better. I'm not sure why, but I feel better. I'm sleeping better. I'm covering better. My brain works better. 
Yeah, because we're making you more adaptive to stress. Right? That's a big part of what we do and what we teach is helping you be more adaptive to stress. And that's the point of today's webinar. So hopefully by the end of today, really quickly, we'll be, and I'm not going to do, do this for long, but we'll be, we, you'll have some interventions on how to improve your body's uh, ability to adapt, call it resilience to stress. So this uh, topic is incredibly deep. It can be incredibly complex, but I'm going to do my best to keep it superficial in the beginning. And if you guys ask specific questions, we can go a little bit deeper into some of the rabbits. Okay. So a simple way to understand it, the autonomic nervous system has two branches, a sympathetic and a parasympathetic. And a way to think of that is sympathetic, remember S, stress. If my body is under stress, it's like a gas pedal. My body says, hey, something is stressful. I'm going to turn on this aspect of the nervous system. So typically what will happen, the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis in the brain senses something that's stressful, sends a signal down the vagus nerve and does something to the heart, so it increases heart rate, constricts the blood vessels, uh, constricts the, the digestive tract, and, and mobilizes energy. So it releases cortisol and adrenaline and mobilizes energy. Why does it mobilize energy? So basically, fat and carbohydrate is released into the bloodstream. Why? Because it wants you to be able to fight, flee. Let's say this will leave those two for now. So it's basically it's fight or flight, right? We're going we're gonna to fight or we're going to run away. That's the stress system. Now, the, the unfortunate reality is, or, or the reality is, normally, historically, evolutionarily, that would have been coupled with some type of movement. Typically, you're, you're likely to move, you're likely to run away, you're likely to fight. Oftentimes, that stress gets mobilized, that energy gets utilized, and then your body can go back into its, its kind of homeostatic place. Unfortunately, now, we get stressed so often in current society because of many numerous things. We're, we're obviously existing in a world that's very different than we've evolved to exist in. So think about driving a car. No matter if you're a good driver or not, there's people on the road who are not. So you're always under a, a level of anxiety. The financial stress we're under, you know, the the um, societal stress as far as like keeping up with the Joneses, like the, your your job, your email. There's just constant uh, high alert, high stimuli, right? So your body's just constantly being bombarded with this sympathetic arousal. So this, this, this nervous system just keeps getting this gas pedal, which means cortisol, which means adrenaline, which means mobilizing energy, which is, sounds great, except when it becomes a mute signal. It's kind of like when your mom is nagging you all the time, like, hey, do this, do this, do this. Eventually you stop hearing it, same idea, right? So eventually your body goes, oh, I'm just gonna not acknowledge that signal anymore. And then that turns into the type of thing where you wake up in the morning, like, oh, I kind of feel tired. I'm a little lethargic this morning because the body isn't responsive to the cortisol that's released in the morning. Cortisol is naturally very, very elevated in the morning. So if we get a natural cortisol, cortisol response and our body's healthy, we should be most energized when we wake up. People are like, what? Yes. There's no such thing as like, I'm a night owl. Therefore, I feel like shit in the morning. No. You should, everyone should feel amazing in the morning. You can still be a night owl at night, but that doesn't mean you should feel poor in the morning. It, like people get that confused, right? People just take a little bit of information and they stretch it to believe what they, to, to make it believe what they, or make it be what they want it to be. So it's important to acknowledge that this system is always on unless we learn to consciously control it and intervene. Okay. And the other side, the parasympathetic is kind of like the brakes. It's kind of the, the system that will regulate or complement the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system. So when you think parasympathetics, think 
uh, rest, digest, and recover, right? So the sympathetic system, the other one is catabolic. It's breaking things down, right? It's breaking down uh, glucose, it's breaking down fat, so you can have energy to do stuff. The parasympathetic is anabolic in nature. It's like rest, digest, recover, grow, right? And replenish. So the body's in this replenishment mode. So it's healing in the parasympathetic state. So when we're subjecting ourselves to workouts, we're training really hard, yet we're staying in this sympathetic place, so this stress place, how well do you think we're recovering? How well do you think we're adapting to the stress we're subjecting our body to? Very poorly. So therefore, these are the type of people who go, man, I feel like I'm training hard. I'm just not getting the results I'm looking for, right? Relative to the work putting in. It's a very common statement that we hear. Well, then we automatically know you're likely your nutrition is off, likely your recovery is off, your sleep's probably off, your HRV is likely low. We know these things. So then us as coaches are taking daily interventions to optimize your HRV. That's really what we're doing. We're, we're going to try to help you be more adaptable, more anti-fragile to anything you subject your body to. Okay. So coming back to this parasympathetic, it's relatively simple, not necessarily easy, but simple to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Here's the catch. When you're in a massively sympathetic place, meaning you're just underway a huge amount of stress, that's not the time to start learning how to create a parasympathetic intervention, right? We want to create a parasympathetic intervention when we don't need it. It's, you know, think of, think, I always use my kids as an example. Sometimes my kids are stressed, overwhelmed, freaking out, not having a good day, that's not the time for me to teach them a lesson, right? That's the time for me to comfort them and make them feel better, right? In that moment, if I had taught them previously, which I do, hey, let's breathe. Let's control our respiratory rate. Let's control our heart rate. All of a sudden now, when they're in a stress state, they have the ability to breathe three times and they're, they're out. Okay. So everybody breathe with me. Everybody sit up if you can. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to take five breaths, and I want them to be four seconds in. Actually, let's do three seconds in, a slight pause, so like a one-second pause, and then a six-second exhalation. So this is a, a two-to-one ratio of exhale to inhale, right? So three seconds in, pause, six seconds out. So before you do it, this is very parasympathetic in nature. Many of you are going to have a hard time doing this, right? So three seconds in, a short breath in, and it's always through your nose. And here's how you know you're doing it correctly. So before we even do the counting breath, Everybody put one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest. You don't care which hand. So now as you breathe in through your nose, I want you to feel the, ab the belly lift. I want you to feel the abdomen expand. As you exhale, I want you to feel it contract. If you're feeling the upper hand move, we don't want that to move. We want the lower hand to move. So let's get the lower hand on the tummy. Exhale. I'm just making noise so you can hear it. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. Exhale. Exhale. Now remember, when you're exhaling, the, the tummy's literally going in. You're, you're making a slight conscious effort to push their, pull the diaphragm in. So if you guys pause for a second, if you think of your diaphragm as this kind of dome-shaped muscle that lives underneath the rib cage, as I breathe in, it pushes down. As I exhale, it goes up. Right. So when I'm, when I'm breathing in, I feel the belly actually expand. Well, the diaphragm goes down. So the belly feels like it's coming out. As I'm exhaling, the diaphragm goes up and the belly goes in. Sometimes pulling it in a little bit helps the diaphragm go a little bit further. 
If any of you guys had a hard time getting that six-second exhalation, it's very common because you probably haven't learned to use your diaphragm yet. Your diaphragm is a muscle. You must use it. If it's weak, you will have a, you'll, I guarantee you're going to have back problems. I guarantee you're going to have tight hips 100% if you have a weak diaphragm. So think about this. Diaphragm is extremely uh, interconnected in all the abdominal and pelvic musculature. So when I fully exhale, at that point, when I'm fully exhaled, my diaphragm's up here under my rib cage, the pelvic floor actually turns on. And when the pelvic floor turns on with enough force, the muscles of the hips don't have to be as tight. So some of the muscles of the hips, the hip flexors, the adductors are, are kind of holding your pelvic girdle together. And if you have a strong pelvic floor, your, your, your hips can be a little loose. So if anyone ha- or can be more loose. So if you, anyone has tight hips, just kind of everybody, you can automatically assume you have a weak pelvic floor. And one of the first interventions we want to use is learn to control this extended inhalation, exhalation breath cycle, right? So I'm going to talk a little bit more about extending an inhalation, exhalation breath cycle, because I think if you guys don't already do this, add it into your repertoire if your desire is performance. So if I say performance, structural balance, spinal mobility, shoulder mobility, hip mobility, I think everyone on this call, tell me I'm wrong, right? So structural balance, spinal mobility, hip mobility, shoulder mobility, like all those things are very correlated with what I'm about to show you. So if you all try to take a deep breath in, not yet, but when I tell you, let's see if we can take a 15 second inhale, which is long, and a 15 second exhale. Now I'm going to tell you a trick. In order to do this, you're going to have to consciously try to push your belly out a little bit. So you're going to really breathe in through your nose. And when you breathe in through your nose, everybody listen, it's going to sound like this. So it's audible and it's kind of through the back of your throat. So if you, if you, if you do that, you're not going to get anywhere near 15 seconds. You have to breathe like it's Darth Vader breath. It's like, except we do it with your mouth closed. So everybody give that a try before you do the 15 second. Try to do the Darth Vader breath. Make it audible. Okay. So now let's try to pull in for 15 seconds. And here's the trick. When you get as full as you think you can, don't stop. Pause and take a little sip of air in. Pause, take a little sip of air in. So keep going. You're going to try to go past your comfort zone a little bit. Everybody ready? Let's go. One, two, three, go. Pause, exhale. Who was able to do it? Anyone not able to do it? Did anyone find the inhale easier than the exhale? Yes. Did anyone find the exhale easier than the inhale? Nice. Good for you guys. So that's a good indication of, so whichever one seems easier is sometimes a good indication of which system is more finely tuned. So if the sympathetic uh, inhale is harder, yeah, so meaning the exhale is, is easier for you, it means you're likely to be more sympath- parasympathetic in nature. So you tend to be a little bit, your nervous system is a little bit more healthy. If, it, if the inhale is easier for you, you may be more sympathetic in nature, you tend to be more stressed, right? And listen, this is not characteristic. This is a, a state. This is not a trait, right? So this is a physiological state that's under your control. So if you want to change it, how do you change it? Train it. 
How do you train it? Practice it. Do the same thing. And you could start off with 15 in, 15 out. And then maybe tomorrow you do 15 in, 20 out. And the day, you know, next week you do 15 in, 25 out. Then you go 15 in, 30 out. And that's, that's very realistic. So I, when I'm at my best, I can do probably 60 seconds in, 90 seconds out. The most I've ever got in was like 70, 75 seconds on the way in, 90 seconds on the way out. So that's one breath. And so that's really well-trained CO2 tolerance. But I'll tell you what, when I'm like that, I'm pretty much like a monk. Like I'm, I'm very resilient to stress. It's been about two years since I've been like that transparently, but I'm very resilient and adaptable to stress at that point. I can pretty much subject myself to anything and my brain never kind of kicks off. I never get like irritated, agitated, or frustrated, interestingly. So if, if that sounds appealing to you, start the practice. All right. So coming back to this like sympathetic, parasympathetic dynamic balance. So everything in your life that is in any way stressful to include things you simply don't want to do, right? Those things are all causing your body. So if we think about this HPA axis, right? The hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So there's a direct correlation or a direct connection between the prefrontal cortex so our kind of animal, our, uh, human brain, and then we have our animal brain, the amygdala, animal brain. It's this oversimplification. But there's connections with both of those. And if I'm constantly being reactive through my amygdala, things that stress me out, things that cause me to be reactive, then my HPA is going to kick off cortisol and adrenaline. So there's this immediate correlation between my body going, hey, I'm stressed. I'm going to kick off adrenaline and cortisol. So my heart rate goes up. I feel a little anxious. I feel a little panicky. I feel a little stressed out immediately. It's an immediate physiological response. So anything that makes you feel like that is driving the sympathetic nervous system. So it's ultimately driving breakdown of muscle, mobilization of energy so that you can, you can fight, you can flee. People doing um, things like jujitsu. Anytime someone's trying to choke you out, you have to be, you want to be slightly aroused, right? You wouldn't want to be like, just about to take a nap and someone's coming out to, to put you in a rear naked choke. You, you want to be slightly right. That's good. That bit of adrenaline actually helps with the learning process. So in order to learn more effectively, we actually want a slight bit of adrenaline, just a little bit. But the problem is when it stays elevated chronically, then we run into problems like insulin resistance, like not being able to sleep, like body fat retention. So it, when we when we have stressful encounters, we want to have the ability to increase our adrenaline. But as soon as that stress goes away, a healthy nervous system takes the adrenaline away, like instantly, right? It should. So if you think of the best, this is an interesting reality. The best pro athletes in the world are not necessarily the ones that can move the fastest or lift the most weight. They're the ones that can turn off the fastest because they can do it again, right? So if you think of like, uh, you know, like any most pro sports, like a football player, a hockey player, a baseball player, anything that's like a dynamic sport, many people through the young amateur ages can go faster than the guys who end up in the pros. But it's the guys who can go fast and turn off and then recover for the next time, right? And not only can they recover, but their brain can stay focused. If I'm constantly stressed, how does your brain work? Less, right? So we want to be in this like slightly, slightly more vigilant state but not necessarily in an overwhelmed state, right? You guys see the kind of dynamic balance there? Like I want a little bit of uh, vigilance. Like I want a little bit of heightened awareness. Like if you guys have ever ridden a mountain bike or done something that's like an extreme sport, skiing, there has to be a hyper level of vigilance if you're going between trees. As soon as you lose that, you're going to crash. 
And if you get too stressed, you're going to crash. You get too tight, right? So that's what that's this this like dynamic balance of the, the autonomic nervous system is like learning to kind of it's kind of threading the needle, and it's really just like the, the key is not spending huge amounts of time in this sympathetic overload. I used to make the statement as a bodybuilder, my aspiration was two hours of sympathetic and 22 hours of parasympathetic, right? So I want to be sympathetic when, when I'm in the gym, when I'm crushing it, like I want to be running through walls, right? I call it the warrior and the monk, right? When I'm in the gym, I'm a warrior and I want to break shit. And as soon as I'm done, I'm, I'm like Buddha, I'm like, right? I'm Zen, I'm focused, I'm calm. That allows my mind to work more effectively. That allows my body to recover more effectively. And now here's the trick. We can access these things through one simple intervention, which I just showed you guys, breath work. So the, the inhalation is the breath of the sympathetic nervous system. So brings my heart rate up a ton. I'm ready to jump and pounce. Brings my heart rate down, calms me down. One breath. Right, a really well-tuned nervous system is able to access the warrior and the monk in one breath. Again, you may not get there immediately, but that's the aspiration, right? If I want to be able to perform in anything, I don't want to have to like, hold on a minute, I need to warm up. I got to like go do some stretches and shit. A truly healthy nervous system is like, boom, I'm ready to go. And one of the coaches recently asked me to shoot a video on how would you how would you breathe before training to optimize the training process? We could talk about that because um, there's multiple levels to how breath work ultimately needs to be used as an intervention, three levels, in fact. So if you guys have never heard me say this before, the three levels of awareness when it comes to breath work are biomechanics, biochemistry, and cadence. Biomechanics is how we breathe, like how we move. Biochemistry is the dynamic balance with, between basically CO2 and oxygen and how that influences the body. And the third one, cadence, is ultimately just the inhale-exhalation ratios with pauses on the end. So understanding that is uh, a very, very useful, powerful tool to learn to um, ultimately upgrade your ability to think, your ability to perform, your ability to perform high levels. I've often said this, like, I mean, my training volume and capacity right now is nowhere near what it was, you know, even 12 months ago, because I've been on the road basically for 12 months. And when I'm back in my gym in Tampa, my training volume and intensity just goes through the roof. The last, last 12 months has been like training in hotel gyms. So my training volume is nowhere near, but you know, when I, even 12 months ago, you could bring any pro bodybuilder in the world in there and I would crush them, even, even five years retired, not because I'm stronger, not because I'm, I'm, I'm bigger, but because I have the ability to control my physiology way better than everyone else. And if, I can, if, we, if we're, doing, or we're doing sets, I'll do two to one of your sets because I can control my breath. I can control my level of arousal. And then so therefore, it's just, you know, it's, it's breaking people down. And that was one of the first real kind of glimpses I had into what the potential is for this stuff, right? Like if me as a being a guy who's five years, five years retired and, you know, effectively natural compared to these guys taking tons of crank and training every day, uh, I can, I can crush them. Like they, they have no idea what they're capable of, right? You just, it's like you're giving them three new gears in the car. Now here's how we do it, right? You have to create an environment and I say have to strongly, you have to create an environment or find an environment or find a circumstance that allows you to disconnect from the stressed environment, right? So if you go to work in your stress, you're in the car in your stress, you wake up in the morning, you're checking your email, you're doing something, you're coming home and even have stress at home, you never get a chance to turn it off. You're going to burn out. You're, you're not going to get any results. You're not going to be able to think consciously, going to make bad decisions around food. You're not going to do your workouts. 
because you're living out of your amygdala. You're living out of the, the reactive animalistic brain rather than the proactive human brain, right? So if you find that to be you, where you're just kind of always stressed and always doing stuff, you must create an environment. You must create an environment or a circumstance that you can that allows you to, to unplug. This is the concept of meditation, right? And I say concept of meditation because meditation doesn't have to be the intervention, right? It can be, uh, I'm going to go sit with my feet in the water on, on the, in the lake, or I'm going to go sit with my feet in the grass in the park, but I'm going to leave my phone. I'm going to leave my computer. I'm going to go sit there for an hour in the sun and allow my body just to go. And the first time you do it, it may be more stressful because you're like, oh my God, I got this to do. And I got this to do. And I got this to do. But the more you do it, you'll learn. And I'll tell you in a minute, you'll learn how to get out of your head. Here's a secret. You can't calm your mind. Fucking impossibility. You can't stop your mind. It's an impossibility. What you can do is get out of your mind and into your body. Right? Get stopping a racing mind is impossible. You can't stop your mind. Uh, Alan Watts, I quote him all the time, says, trying to calm your mind is like trying to calm an ocean with a flat iron. Right? It's like you're gonna hit the iron, it's gonna create more ripples. You can't calm the your mind. What you can do is take your awareness from here, which is often stressing about what you didn't do, worrying about what you have to do, so past and future, and bring into the present moment. Right. So when we just did that breathing practice a few minutes ago, you, you were bringing your awareness into your stomach, right? You're bringing your awareness into breathing into your belly. You're feeling what's going on inside your body. That's a really simple practice to bring your, your awareness here. So what you're doing is you're bringing your awareness into the present moment. You're saying, Hey, I'm going to think about only what I'm experiencing in this moment. So your experience of life comes through five senses, right? We all experience life through our sight, our sound, our taste, our smell, and our touch. Five senses. So if you can only experience what is now, so completely submersing your awareness in this moment, you can't be in your head. That's just created a meditative experience that gets you out of your head and calms down the nervous system. Does that make sense? Okay. So... One of the best things you can learn to do is, is paying attention to your senses. One of my favorite historical figures is Leonardo da Vinci. And he said the thing that made him a polymath, one of the most recognized, brilliant human beings of all time, he was a brilliant chef, he was a brilliant artist, he was a brilliant mathematician, he was a brilliant author, um, and, and many more things, obviously an astronomer, was the fact that he said he studied his senses every single day. And his ability to identify with the acuity of his senses, meaning like the precision of sight, the precision of smell, the precision of taste, touch, he said that's what set him apart from everybody else because his attention to detail was far superior to anyone else. And so simply doing that, think of how much time Leonardo spent in meditation because you can't do that unless you're thinking about it. So if I tell you guys all right now, I want you to think about your fourth toe. Think about, put all of your awareness into your fourth toe. You're like, I can't do that. Like, unless you start like pushing into it, right? You can't really just like, but you could if you practice, right? Same thing with like, if I say, put all your awareness into your biceps or into your lat or into your delt. Could you do it? Maybe not right now, but I guarantee you do it if you practice training every day. 
you can do it, right? And this is why training becomes this meditative experience because it's really cueing into your sensory system. You guys with me? Training, while being a sympathetic intervention, is our greatest opportunity daily to become connected with what's happening on the inside. It's a meditative experience if done correctly. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content, leave us a review and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.